My name is Dorian Usherwood. Welcome to Set Apart. This is a podcast focused on helping others understand, number one, what it means to be set apart as a Christ follower and what it doesn't mean to be set apart. I think especially now, there's a lot of misunderstanding and there has been for a long time. I'll get a little bit into you know my upbringing and the misunderstandings that I think a lot of uh, folks that grew up in the church have related to what it means to be set apart. And so we're going to dig in a little bit into that. Um, this is episode one. I'm excited about this. I really feel led to start talking about this subject. And from time to, um, from time, to time, I am going to have guests. My first podcast was pretty overproduced in terms of the amount of editing I did, and it took a lot of time. This is going to be a little more raw uh, and authentic, which I think it needs to be based on the subject matter. So uh, I'm actually set up in my garage. I've got a little recording set up here, and that's where I'm going to be recording these. So from time to time, there may be the sound of cars in the background or rain. I'm not going to edit that out. It takes a lot more time. I'm just going to get right to the content and deliver it the way that it was recorded. So I'm going to start actually with a Bible verse, Romans 12, 1 through 2. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good pleasing, and perfect will. So this podcast is focused on my walk as a Christ follower. What it is not is a holier-than-thou rant to shame others into submission. In fact, it's that very strategy that led to me walking in a wilderness for many years, uh, feeling nothing but shame. And so let me start with a little bit of background. I grew up in a Christian home. Uh, my father was a pastor. My parents were missionaries. My father uh, was an e a Christian educator throughout Europe. Uh, we went to lots of Christian conferences growing up, lots of Christian-based events. We visited a lot of churches. And, you know, Christianity in my adolescence was heavily based in fear, right? Um we were set apart without a choice. Obviously, when you grow up in a Christian home, especially uh, as a PK, which is pastor's kid, which I am, um, you're set apart from birth, and you don't really have a choice in that. And ultimately, uh, it put us, uh, my siblings and I, and my friends, I've got a lot of friends who are PKs. We still talk to this day about this particular struggle, but you know, it put us in this bubble without understanding the formation of the bubble itself. Uh, you know, we were presented with the gospel as part of a rules-based lifestyle, what to do, what not to do. Uh, I can't say I really understood the gospel, but I can definitely say that I understood I didn't want to mess up or else, right? A lot of people talk about fire and brimstone. Well, that's right at the center of how I grew up. 
I always thought I was born set apart and then quickly realized that it was too much of a struggle to be set apart. Um, I left home at 17 to go to college. And when I left home, I actually left my faith walk behind. I went to church, I think, one time um, while I was in college, maybe two times. I think I went once with the fraternity. But the very first time I went, it was actually I went to a Catholic mass. And the only reason I went to that Catholic mass was so that I could date a girl who was Catholic. Uh, that was kind of one of her requirements. Will you go to mass with me? And of course, most young teenage men would go to mass as well. So um, I walked away from home and all of that stuff um, and really kind of embraced the world. Um, you know, I, I kind of went head first into kind of checking out what the world had to offer since I had spent the first 14 years of my life really um, seeing what that version of Christianity had to offer. And so now as a 48-year-old man, um, I went through a very interesting journey. And really, the purpose of episode one, which this is, is to kind of give you a background of my testimony without getting into too many of the terrible details um, but I'm going to kind of give you a view of what my journey was at a very, um, I guess, 800 foot level bird's eye view, uh, kind of seeing where the journey led. So as I mentioned, 17 years old, I left home and kind of went into this phase of my life where I was checking out what the world had to offer. You know that? That goes into probably every area you could imagine. And from age 17 to probably age 25-ish, um, I was, you know, kind of very intentionally not uh, attending church, not, I had zero prayer life, really. I mean, I, I continued to pray before food for the most part, you know, before I ate, Um if I visited the family, you know, of course I went to church and put on the mask. Um, if I was asked by family, you know, you going to church, of course, yeah, I'm going to church. But knowing that the only church I was attending was Bed Springs Baptist with Pastor Pillow and Deacon Sheets. Uh, some of you may have heard that analogy, but that was the church that I attended on a regular basis. And really... Um, it was born out of, I don't have to anymore. Um, growing up, going to church was not an option. Um, I joined, you know, ensembles. I sang. I think we even had a CD that we put out our ensemble once. I was in the choir. Went to Sunday school. Um, and then that's really what my life looked like up until 17. I remember um, when I first had this, I guess, taste of, Freedom, I'll even say, you know, Christian freedom or freedom from Christianity and the Christian lifestyle. I remember my um, my roommate had, uh, you know, we ended up in a college apartment through a series of uh, decisions that were made. We didn't really want to be in a dorm. So buddies, a few buddies of I, we were able to secure off-campus apartments as freshmen, which 
you know, that, that was a recipe for disaster because there's zero accountability. It wasn't actually a, a school-run apartment. These were public apartments that anyone could live in. So my neighbors across the hall and next to me were, you know, either business people or retired individuals. And so I really had a great amount of freedom. And I remember sitting in my apartment, my roommate had unfortunately made the decision to leave and so I was in this two-person apartment all by myself sitting on the couch, and I'm just thinking, man, this is amazing. Um, there's absolutely no accountability. I don't have to go to church. I really don't even have to go to class, um, which I learned later was futile because uh, I ended up getting kicked out of uh, school because of that after about two years of not going to class and not taking that seriously. Um, and, you know, through that journey of um, being, you know, put on probation and then eventually trying to turn that around um, at college, it was really based in the fact that I had let everything go, all responsibility. And it was really rooted in being held to such a high standard in that bubble of being a pastor's kid, being a missionary's kid. Um, you know, in England, my dad was a college professor in Germany, he was a college professor. And then in England, he was actually the president of the college. And so you can imagine the pressure. Um, he's also Jamaican and also retired as a colonel in the US Air Force. So in terms of accountability and responsibility within those first 17 years of my life, being free from that and really only being accountable to going to class, um, that was a quite significant um, epiphany that I had reached that, man, I can exhale. Um, and I started to think through the decisions that I could make myself without having someone look at me. I mean, I could go out in Pittsburgh <clears throat> and no one knew who I was. I was no longer so-and-so's son or so-and-so's brother. Um, no one was expecting me to roll into church and sit on a certain pew or show up in Sunday school or show up to choir practice. No one had those expectations. And I could walk on the college campus as an unknown individual. And it was awesome. It was so refreshing. I really needed that in order to pivot into um, that next phase of, you know, young adulthood as a 17-year-old. Eventually, um, decisions caught up with me and I ended up having to go to a different school, went to Maryland Institute College of Art, uh, in Baltimore, um, an awesome fraternity brother opened his home. He lived in this huge home by himself. So we became roommates and it was really great because he gave a sense of accountability from an adult perspective. It wasn't like, here's this young teenager who's in our fraternity, who's my roommate. Um, it was more like, here's a young man who's trying to find his way and he just needs uh, a leg up and a place to stay. And so he was still, um, he's still um, someone that I'm eternally grateful for, for giving me that pause um, and giving me that opportunity to attend class and come to a home where again, there was a certain level of accountability and responsibility, but it was really on me um, as a decision maker 
to navigate those opportunities as they came up. Um, I was there for about a year and ultimately ended up down in Atlanta in 96. Um, I took a brief detour up to New York for an internship, which was awesome. Lived um, in Manhattan, um, which was phenomenal, um, closer to Harlem, like right on the edge of Harlem. It was 122nd and Riverside in this amazing building with some great people. Um, and that, again, you know, there was accountability because I was there for an internship. So I had to show up every morning for work. Um, however, outside of that work responsibility, it was really on me to make the right decision and navigate the choices that were presented to me. That was probably one of my favorite uh, points in my season uh, or seasons in my in my life, rather, because it enabled me to um, be what I consider one of the greatest cities in the world as an artist and as a you know as a young artist designer uh, I was a graphic designer at a business magazine in New York and that was the internship role it was awesome right um, I was working on real stuff not projects in college but I was working on real things that you know people all around the U.S. and some projects all around the world had an opportunity to be exposed to what I was creating and I met some of the greatest people. I mean, just from an ethnic standpoint, New York is such a cultural hotbed, and it was awesome. It reminded me a lot of my upbringing in Europe. And, you know, having graduated from high school in Tennessee uh, in a small town, it was not diverse at all, right? Um, moving there from the D.C. area, a lot of the things that I was interested in uh, the young blacks in that part of Tennessee were not necessarily interested or aligned with the same things I was interested in. And that was a big culture shock. And so all of a sudden, I'm thrust into New York. And New York, there are people from everywhere, all around the world. And everyone is hustling. Everyone's on their way to work. You're on the train. And there are so many different nationalities around you. People are speaking different languages. And that really helped solidify in my mind the type of world that I wanted to grow up in um, and ultimately um, is very representative of my friend group today. I've got friends from so many different nationalities, so many different countries. Um, and so New York was a was a game changer for me and my understanding. Ultimately ended up in Atlanta. At the time in Atlanta, you know, it was just post the Olympics. So it was diverse um, at the time, but I think there were like 3.4 million people in Atlanta when I moved here, uh, where I where I still am today. But I lived in an apartment complex that was right next to the population sign, and at that time in Atlanta, um, there was I think yeah just a little over three million people here, and today I think it's close to six million. So. Um, it's obviously grown. I wish the roads uh, had grown with it, but uh, that's a different story for a different day. So I end up in Atlanta, and again, um, the Holy Spirit was definitely chasing me. Um, I mentioned to a, a pastor friend of mine when his son was going through a tough spot, I said, you know, it's, it's not that 
the Holy Spirit is not speaking. It's just the volume of the Holy Spirit is turned down so much that your son is just not able to respond appropriately. And that's really what it was for me. The volume of the Holy Spirit was turned down to a level where the dirt that I was involved in living, you know, 100% a sinful life, um, I, it was really that chastening and that conviction was just at a, such a low level that it didn't really even resonate with me. Not to, not to say that there weren't glimpses in time, but again, it was just not on my radar. And I remember when I uh, ultimately ended up in uh, the fraternity house downtown Atlanta with, again, another, uh, what I'll say is an angel, a fraternity brother who, you know, he and I ran into each other right as things were coming to a close um, in my other apartment. And he was like, man, come move into the frat house. He called a couple of fraternity brothers. They came and got my stuff and moved into the frat house with him. Uh, and he's got, he's grown and he's a big time politician now, but I'll always be grateful for him to him because he was an angel uh, in that time, much like my fraternity brother in Baltimore was in giving me uh, a place to pause and reflect. And so shortly after that, met a great uh, guy at a big fraternity weekend and he was looking for a roommate and I was at a point where I needed to really get serious about work and, you know, we became roommates, moved up uh, to another part of Atlanta, kind of out in the sticks at the time, uh, which is now a thriving uh, part of Atlanta and got a great job and I'd always wanted to sell cars. So I went to a car dealership, got a job and then I thought, well, maybe I'll, you know, be a... um, maybe I'll go into hotel management. So let me go get a job at a hotel. So I actually was running two jobs at the same time. Um, and on the side, I was doing what I loved, which was design. Uh, so I literally would sometimes go to the hotel uh, at 11 at night, do that graveyard shift till 11 in the morning, go to my apartment, sleep for a couple hours, and then be at the dealership at nine o'clock ready to go and then get off of the dealership at three. And I did that for a while. Um, again, uh, the volume was turned pretty pretty way down, but it started to turn up just a little bit and uh, met a couple of folks that, you know, really started to challenge me and in, in the way that I was living and um, really started me to rethink, uh, you know, how I was spending my time and the things that I thought were cool Um, but still had blinders on to a certain extent. And then ultimately I saw this job for Anderson consulting in the newspaper. Right. And so I see this job and this is back in the day where the internet is not what it is today. So I didn't submit my resume online. I literally faxed my resume and I'll never forget on the top of my resume. I wrote attention, attention in big, bold letters and, um, faxed it in, went through seven interviews Got the job at Accenture um, as an analyst. It was awesome. And things started to turn around because I really felt like I was, number one, I was working in my gift. Um, But I felt like, you know what, It's I'm growing up now. Like, I really felt like I was at a point where I needed to to grow up. And my friends that were around me, they were all getting good jobs and they were working. And it it was that time. And so... 
I remember there was a church um, in Atlanta that I had actually um, competed against in a, in a choir competition when I was back in Tennessee. And I knew that this church um, preached sound doctrine. Um, side note, you got to be in a church where you're convicted. If you're in a church where you're just made to feel comfortable and there's no growth, you need to find a new church. Uh, there are a ton of those around Atlanta. Um, but I knew that this church preached sound doctrine from the word of God. And then ultimately it chastened me in a way where I knew I needed to change. So, um, the, the sermon that day was 100% targeted at me, went to the altar call and, uh, this guy comes up behind me. I still don't know who this guy is, but, um, put his hand on my shoulder and said, Hey, uh, God knows that you've been running and you've been living outside of his will. Uh, and he started to recite some things that I had experienced. And he said, God's here to welcome you home. He wants you home. He wants you back um, to be living the way that uh, you should be living. And I actually drew a picture of this exact moment um, on, a, on a dark piece of uh, colored pencil paper. And it's a picture of me that I drew of me on my knees with this really coarse outer shell and the lightning bolt hitting the top of my head and scales flying off. That's really what it felt like in that moment where I was, I was back. Right. And so it took several years, of course, for me to actually fully kind of turn things around when you are living for so long, uh, in a certain, uh, living so long in a certain way, you know, it takes time to kind of Un unpack all of uh, all of that stuff. And so return back uh, to being an active Christ follower. Um, again, it's not overnight. And anyone that tells you that it's a daily pursuit. And so uh, his mercies are new every single morning. And there are some mornings I needed them uh, more than others. There are some mornings now, uh, you know, 23 years later, that I still need those mercies more than others, but I really became uh, intentional and that's really what it's about. And so that brings me to, you know, kind of what it means to be set apart. And throughout that whole wilderness per se that I mentioned earlier and that I just described, um, I had a lot of fun. Uh, it was great, but I was not fulfilled. Um, and the reason I know I was fulfilled because I continue to try and be fulfilled through other avenues um, and I was not fulfilled. And so I came to a place where um, I'm being intentional, had a great job now, um, working for Anderson Consulting. Um, things started to turn around, started going to church. Some still not, you know, um, as I should have. Um, but I definitely <clears throat> had a desire. The desire was there. The volume was turned up. Um, it's probably at about a 65%, but it wasn't where it needed to be by any stretch. Um, but it was actually moving in the right direction. And, um, you know, since that time to now, what I've really been trying, not trying to discover, what I've discovered is grace. Um, and, you know, if we go all the way back to my childhood, I did not know what grace was, right? Um, it's not something that was taught. Um, 
And unfortunately, I think there are a lot of people that are in that camp, right? We grow up with this weight of we're supposed to act this way. We're supposed to speak this way. We're supposed to um, respond this way. Um, But ultimately, um, our lifestyle or the lifestyle we're told we're supposed to live is it's just too hard, right? It's too hard. So um, that brings me to grace and where I am today, where I'm an actively embracing grace. And it's definitely something that I would say uh, there are a lot of people that have gone through this and there are people that will continue to feel this way. But ultimately, um, my goal for this podcast is to talk about how you let go of shame, how you embrace grace, and how you abandon not being a Christ follower, but how you abandon the misconceptions and what I would say the unbiblical approach to raising someone in a Christian home and taking away the pressure that Jesus did not intend for us to have in the first place. Talk to you next time.